Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Kate the whakaronga mai koe ki tō tātou au horihori. He hōtaka e pāna ki a papatūnuku tangaroa me ranginui. You with our changing world on RNZ National, and now the theme for Sea Week this year is Toyora Timuana, Toyora Titangata, healthy seas, healthy people, and looking after our marine environment and making sure it's suitably managed and protected, is the aim of proposed marine protected areas legislation currently open for public consultation. Alison catches up with Environment Minister Nick Smith to hear more about his ambitions for marine protected areas and the blue economy in New Zealand's vast ocean territory. New Zealand's in the very fortunate position of being a developed country with the fourth largest exclusive economic zone. And that's where the government's objective is for us really to be a world leader in the sustainable management and conservation of that ocean estate. But the key deficiency in our framework is our old 1971 Marine Reserves Act. And that is why the government is so focused on updating it uh, at the same time as providing for the new sanctuary in the Kermitex. So there are four kinds of marine protected areas that are proposed under this new protected area legislation, marine reserves. Well, the government's view is that the current Marine Reserves Act has the deficiency of only providing for one sort of marine protected area. And just as with the Reserves Act on land, where we provide for recreational reserves, local purposes reserves, a very high-status nature reserves, uh, we need to provide a greater degree of different tools in that marine environment. Now, we think there is an absolutely proper place for no-take marine reserves, areas where uh, nature rules, uh, where there is nothing more than basically scientific research and conservation, And the extra value of those areas is that they provide a very important baseline for us making assessments about the quality of our other marine areas. Now, we have 44 marine reserves at the moment. We're going to translate those over to the new Act, but we're also going to have an improved process for creating new marine reserves in future. They are a bit of a potpourri uh, in terms of where they're located. The government's long-term objective is to have a network of marine reserves that matches up with the diversity of different ocean habitats around New Zealand's huge EZ and territorial sea. Another tool that is talked about in the proposal, species-specific sanctuaries. We already have some of those, don't we? Yes, we do. The current Marine Mammals Act, that's the 1970s Act, provides for areas of protection for our marine mammals, like of the... Hector's Dolphin Sanctuary that exists in the uh, western North Island around Taranaki for the very threatened Maui's Dolphin. Uh, also for the Hector's Dolphin, way down in Southland, we have protected areas. But actually things have moved on. There is a greater appreciation that there are many more species than just dolphins that require uh, marine protection. And that is why this proposal of species-specific sanctuaries is about, for instance, the great white sharks in Fovo Strait, the Royal Albatross uh, that nests on the Otago Peninsula, 
we want the capacity to be able to geographically identify areas of our territorial sea and provide a specific set of rules that will ensure that in those areas those species are able to be survived and protected. What about seabed reserves? That's another tool that's talked about. Well, seabed reserves is, at the moment, we have this unusual beast, the benthic protected areas under the Fisheries Act. Now, to some degree, they've been created because of the deficiencies in that Marine Reserves Act, in that there isn't the capacity to protect that life that exists on the bottom of the sea. Now, remember, 80% of the unique biodiversity to New Zealand is actually not on land, but out in the sea. A significant amount of that is on the seabed. And that is why we want the tool, whether it be the black corals and the ordland, whether it be some of the special corals that exist on the seabed and the Chatham Rise, we want the capacity to be able to specifically protect those. In some respects, it's a replacement for the benthic protected areas that exist under the Fisheries Act. But the commercial fishermen quite rightly say, what's the use of a benthic protected area if it only bans fishing and you're allowed to be able to seabed mine it? And that is where the seabed reserve is a more sophisticated and sensible tool that we want to get onto our law books. The recreational fishing parks? Well, the government is saying that we think there are areas of New Zealand where the fish resource is worth more as a recreational resource than a commercial resource. And we are particularly focused on those inshore sheltered areas like the Marlborough Sounds and the Hauraki Gulf. Now, it is a value judgment. But effectively, the government is saying that for a species like blue cod in Marlborough Sound, there's more value for that fish on the end of the line of a young uh, child of a family or of a tourist than what it is being caught in a big net ending up in a supermarket uh, or for export markets, and equally so with snapper in Hauraki Gulf. Now, there's an extra advantage. Every time the government attempts to regulate those recreational fishers, there's huge pushback because they say, well, hang on a sec, what about the hundreds of tonnes of uh, wet fish that's caught by the commercial fishing industry? And so it is also the government's hope through the provision for exclusive recreational fishing parks to be able to include recreational fishers to a greater degree in the management, setting the rules about what's the size of fish, when can you fish, uh, how many fish you can catch as a recreational fisher, and that they will take a greater responsibility for that sustainability. And that is where I think it is a powerful new tool that we need to add to our MPAs. I've read quite a lot of comment, though, where people have said, wouldn't this be better managed under fisheries legislation rather than under a Marine Protected Areas Act? The government is very deliberately in these proposals around marine protected areas wanting to get uh, Department of Conservation fisheries and environment, as well as local authorities, better engaged in managing these areas. There's an added advantage. I've been involved in the specific creation of 18 marine reserves. Every time I get and try and persuade a community to have a marine reserve, the recreational fishermen argue that every single reserve is a loss for them. If we have an integrated piece of legislation that provides for both marine reserves and recreational fishing parks. We're able to have an integrated conversation with communities. How about that area being a marine reserve? And how about that area there, adjacent or maybe somewhere in the facility, being a recreational fishing park? That is, it is possible to build a stronger and wider constituency 
for marine protection if we're also making provision for those areas that has an exclusivity for recreational fishing parks. I'd further argue that if we look at the international context, Australia, Europe, US, if we look at the United Nations approach to marine protected areas, they include within their framework provision of areas that are exclusively for cultural and recreational take, and that's why it's important New Zealand follows that lead and includes it within its framework. It is very clearly intended that through those marine protected areas, even though it's provided for under the fact, the actual management of those recreational fishing parks would still rest uh, with the Ministry of Primary Industries and their fisheries uh, offices. Now, what about marine protection in the EEZ? You mentioned earlier the Kumadek Ocean Sanctuary, which is a, a great thing that's been created. Wasn't it a national election promise that this new legislation would include the EEZ but currently only includes territorial waters? The discussion document that we've put out is focused on the territorial sea, and there's been a pretty pragmatic trade-off to get on and create that very large ocean sanctuary in the Kumadek. Now, that's an area that's twice the size uh, of the land area of New Zealand. It's 50 times larger than all our marine reserves, those 44 that we've created to date. So it truly is uh, a huge uh, contribution uh, by New Zealand to marine conservation. And the reason we've done that is that we've been considering a number of mineral exploration applications from the industry. We needed to bring that decision forward to effectively say to them, we don't want you spending a whole lot of money on exploration if the government's honest view is that those areas should be permanently protected. Now, uh, the amount of information we have more broadly in the EZ is more limited. The amount of pressure on the resource in the EZ is substantially less, and that is why the government has said, actually, the area where we need these tools, those marine reserves, those species-specific sanctuaries, uh, those seabed reserves, uh, and those recreational fishing parks is very much in that far more pressured territorial sea. And for now, this marine protected area policy is to cover them, with the exception of the Termidex. I openly concede that is a refinement on the policy that we took to the election, nor did we promise the Termidex sanctuary. Uh, That is where we have got for now, but we welcome submission. That was Environment Minister Nick Smith. And now, Alison talks with the Environmental Defence Society's Policy Director, Raven Peart, to find out how she thinks the Marine Protected Area proposal stacks up. Well, I think it's taken us a lot further than where we are today. The current situation is we've got a very narrow and limited piece of legislation um, well outdated, and I think the current proposals um, have some very good material They need, though, I think, more work, really, to bring them up to a robust set of proposals. So what would be your major criticism of it? I think the biggest gap in the the legislation or the proposals, of course it's just the discussion document, um, is that it's uh, proposed that it won't apply to 95% of our marine area, and that's our uh, exclusive economic zone. And I think that's a major um, gap, uh, really would put New Zealand well behind all our comparative Uh, countries overseas would make it really difficult to meet our international obligations and and quite frankly we just really need to be managing that area better. So I think the proposals really need to make provisions for some strategic planning up front, some documents like some international policy statements which would set out much more clearly what we're trying to achieve and how we'll achieve it, 
some good uh, solid conservation planning information. The Department of Conservation is making you know really good strides on, on being much more strategic about how it uses its resource. We need to tap into that. It's interesting that one of the things the legislation hopes to achieve is to avoid one-off legislation, which is what it's had to do in the past for particular marine reserve proposals. But the interesting thing is that the Kermadec Ocean Sanctuary, because the EEZ is not covered in this new legislation, would still need its own piece of legislation. Yes, well, I think this highlights the problem that it would leave us in this very ad hoc, unsatisfactory situation where if we wanted to uh, protect an area out there, we'd have to go through this process of having another uh, different piece of legislation. I mean, it just makes uh, total sense to have an integrated uh, marine protected areas statute that covered our entire marine area. It doesn't require that uh, marine protected areas are created in our EEZ, but it at least would um, allow that to happen if the government so wished. Well, let's step through the four different kinds of marine protected area that are in the proposed legislation, starting with marine reserves. So what do we currently have? The proposals really carry over um, the kind of regime we've had in the past under the Marine Reserves Act, and that enables us to um, set aside areas which essentially are no take, so no fishing, uh, no other destructive activities such as mining or dredging, and really are designed to be our jewels where we protect our very, you know, our biodiversity in a natural state so it can recover and function as it would um, without impact. Um, that's carried over. That's an essential part of any marine protected area network because it's only if we have these areas where we really attempt to take away our human impacts that we can fully understand um, what the marine environment was like. We can allow those species to recover and interact in a natural way. And they're also our, um, really our reserves and security You know, if things go wrong in other areas. Now, the second kind of protection talked about in the document is species-specific sanctuaries. We already have some of those for species like Hector's dolphin, for instance. Yes, we do. And, I th- you know, I think this is a very um, good proposal to expand the, the ambit of this that could apply to um, any particular species that we thought was under threat. Um, we have them for Hector's and Maui's dolphins, for New Zealand sea lions. We could apply them to shark species. But uh, presumably we could also apply them to other species um, you know, something like Harpuka and, and some you know, deep-sea reef areas where they're under threat. So a good tool um, yeah, to have in our toolbox. The third type of protected areas, seabed reserves, for protecting areas of the seafloor. Now, I think this is, this is a, a really important uh, category. We have very large areas of our seabed are impacted by activities such as um, trawling and also dredging has an impact. Um, so any activity where heavy equipment is being dragged along the sea floor um, has the impact of uh, damaging and often destroying the, the communities that live there. These communities are, are things like horse muscle beds, uh, muscle beds, uh, corals, uh, sponges. Recent um, work has really highlighted that these types of seafloor communities are actually critical uh, for the health of the marine system but also for our fisheries. So, for instance, a, a um, species like snapper, the juvenile snapper can only survive into um, large fish if they have these quite complex habitats on the seafloor where they can um, thrive, where they're not eaten by bigger fish. And if we don't have those, essentially we don't get um, nearly as many large fish in the, in the system. 
Now, the fourth type of marine protected area that's in the proposed legislation, recreational fishing parks, and this is specifically to do with the Hauraki Gulf and the Marlborough Sounds. This is rather curious because the purpose of the new legislation will be biodiversity conservation in our marine environment. Really, the purpose of the recreational fishing parks, is, as I understand it, is to increase the, the quality of the recreational fishing experience. So it's something a bit different, and I think perhaps is a bit oddly placed. It could be better under the Fisheries Act. You know, a laudable goal, I think, because uh, recreational fishing is obviously really important to a large number of New Zealanders, and, um, and clearly the, the quality of that experience is um, very dear to those people. I think the... The concept of the recreational fishing parks, which uh, seeks to spatially, if you like, separate um, commercial fishing and recreational fishes, um, in itself won't really achieve that because the fish uh, move over that boundary. So um, unless these recreational fishing parks were kind of coupled with some uh, measures such as uh, buying out commercial quota and retiring it, I'm not sure that it will actually deliver the kind of benefits that are sought. And I think the suggestion that um, there would be a different management regime for these areas um, where recreational fishers would be encouraged to take a more proactive role in managing um, their impacts on the marine environment. Um, there's talk of um, perhaps a requirement that recreational fishers record what they catch so we have a better handle on that. So, you know, this could be the beginning of a, you know, a, a more nuanced approach to how we manage recreational fishing, and that could be a very good thing. I just think this is the wrong legislation for that provision to be included in. One of the things that this proposed legislation does is try to find a balance between marine protection, like strictly protected areas to maintain biodiversity. But there's a lot of talk of economics and economic well-being. Do you think it's got the balance right? This really goes to, I think, the other um, major gap in, in the structure of this legislation. It's still rather ad hoc. It still talks about individual proposals coming to the fore, either by the community, through the minister, or perhaps through the Department of Conservation. What we really need is a much more strategic approach to how we manage our marine environment. We need some you know, good strategic planning to identify where these networks of marine reserves because actually small little individual no-take areas um, won't achieve what we need. I think economics is definitely a, you know, a big element of this, but economics in the wider sense. It's not just economics of use, it's economics of all those non-extractive uses of our tourism industry, of our, how people benefit from a marine environment that's thriving with life, that's abundant, that's full of seabirds, that's full of marine mammals. I mean, that's of enormous value to New Zealanders and, and to our tourism industry. And then there's the long-term uh, benefits of healthy marine environments, all the ecosystem services they provide, cleansing the water, providing food. So I think um, if the economic considerations are considered in, in a much wider context and over the long term, I think it is definitely in our economic benefit to, to protect these areas. One of the things that struck me in reading the proposal was I couldn't find a single definition of what actually they mean by a marine protected area. They, they talk about marine reserves, species-specific sanctuaries, seabed reserves, recreational fishing parks, but nowhere does it say what is the aim and objective of a marine protected area. Yes, well, I think there needs to be a lot of clarity up front about what is it that we're actually trying to achieve, how are we going to achieve it. So I'm hoping that detail will come through in, in the drafting of the the bill. I, th I think the key point here is that it's a really important piece of legislation. 
it's really important that people do engage, do make submissions on this discussion document so that, that those views can go into the drafting. There's a sort of a framework here that's helpful, but we do need to work it up in a more robust way. And the more that people engage in this process, um, the better legislation will end up within the end. And that was Raven Purd from the Environmental Defence Society. Public submissions on the proposed marine protected areas legislation close on Friday, the 11th of March. Thanks for listening to this Our Changing World podcast. You can stay in touch with us on Twitter at RNZ underscore science. Matewa. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.